0: OK, motor talk. Well, hello, everyone. We are back again for another podcast. It's great to see you or not see you as the case might be. I'm Mike.
1: I'm Jim. Hello. Hope you're keeping well.
0: I'm Graham. Good evening to
1: everybody. And I'm Dave. How are we? Not too bad this week. I think it's nice that things have started opening up again but hey i think at, at least if nothing else people have seen that to break the rules is uh, is totally acceptable by those in charge so uh, hey pretty much do what you like seems to be the uh, the message laid out by our illustrious leaders
0: mm, hands face touch up your aid in case you <laughs> listen to this further down the line this is the tail end of june and matt hancock has just been putting his matt hancock where he shouldn't be putting his matt hancock
1: he has but i think it uh, it explains now why in an interview where he was quizzed over who it was acceptable to have an affair with i think the uh the presenter was trying to wind him up and sort of, you know, just gently take the mick out of him as to, uh, you know, was it okay to have an affair with somebody in your same household? So in which case, it probably wants to be your wife's sister or something like that if uh, if you all live together. And he, uh, he got a bit embarrassed and a bit funny, you know. So, well, so you can you sleep with somebody at work as if they're in your bubble as well? And he, uh, he got very embarrassed about it, but it's uh, it's quite uh, quite plain to see why now. Bless him.
0: Mm, perhaps it's better that it wasn't an escort. <laughs>
2: oh, very good car Related <laughs> well, talking of escorts, something hey, somebody, hey sorry, something hey. caught my eye. Went an escort the,
1: caught your eye, did it? An
2: escort caught my eye, yes. Even in these straightened times, an escort has caught my eye, <laughs> and not that sort of escort either. Before anybody starts, um, an oh. escort, a 1981 escort to be precise, registration number WEV297W. Uh, With 83,000 miles on the clock, a bit of a survivor, generally a silver escort gear. You know, if you saw one of those on the road, you'd do a double take. This one, though, is a bit more special because it used to belong to none other than Princess Diana, the Princess of Wales, and was bought for her by her then-fiancé, Prince Charles, as an engagement gift. And it's just sold at auction in Essex today for £52,640, which isn't bad for a... Oh, what's that getting on for? Ford, it's forty years old, isn't it? Forty-year-old Ford Escort. If you can get fifty-two grand for that, including the uh, seller and buyer's premium, you're doing pretty well.
0: What a lucky girl, eh? <laughs> that is a lot of
1: money for a, a car like that, isn't it? I mean, it uh, shows the importance of providence and famous owners and things like that. But you know, for th- that sum of money, a little bit nuts, I think. Kind of think what you could buy for fifty-two grand. That would be. lot more interesting I think.
3: There are people out there who will pay ridiculous amounts of money for uh, quite extraordinary things and and, I mean this has had nine owners apparently and only the last one the ninth owner seems to have been canny enough to put it away in a garage for a few years let it appreciate in value uh, and then bring it to market whereas the Previous seven, the first one obviously no longer with us. I'm sure she didn't do her own buying and selling of cars. But the intermediate seven um, just treated it as an ordinary
0: car, I guess. Nine owners on an Escort, not uncommon, let's face it. A few things to recap on here. Firstly, the sale was in Essex, could it have been anywhere else? When an Escort has nine owners, you wonder how many times (laughs) in its nine ownership... Has it been stolen, i.e. has it had more owners along the way? Because that's definitely a thing, isn't it? And has anyone else notice that on some of the classifieds now, cars are being described as 5-plus owners? Mm. Where, where, where was that a thing? I said, this car has had 5-plus careful owners. It, it's so good, it had to be enjoyed by so many people. Popular. Popular cars are worth more. Previously mm. enjoyed, they call it.
1: Five plus, is that not a uh, a logbook thing? Like, it only goes up to five or something and all the GDPR regulations, you can't see as much info as you used to.
0: Can't see any info anymore in a logbook. It doesn't, doesn't tell you. Yeah, no, this is true. Uh,
1: although, speaking of uh, famous owners' cars, having a braille through collecting cars, as I always do, despite the fact I don't collect cars, well, not full-size ones, anyway, uh, mainly due to a lack of, uh, lack of funds. There's a, a 2004... Uh, Porsche Carrera GT on there, uh, formerly owned by Jensen Button. Um, that's that's up for a slightly more princely sum. There's still four days left to go on the auction, and that's up to seven hundred and five thousand euros. But I dare say the uh, base price of the car was a little bit higher to start off with uh, than an Escort. Hence the uh, slightly higher bid at the moment. But I'm not uh, m- much as I'm a massive fan of Jensen Button. I'm not sure that a car owned by a Formula One racing driver is the best used by you know you'd you'd always see a car being thrashed up and down the road and uh, you'd always think to yourself oh would you buy a used car off that man you kind of think well how's that going to have been driven and uh and, and would you want to buy it but i suppose as we've just seen provenance is uh is everything and a famous owner bumps up the value a bit
3: i'm not sure that formula one drivers uh, treat their own personal cars that hard. They tend to take it out on on their hire cars. You know, they fly into somewhere for a Grand Prix, uh, hire a car and trash it basically. And that seems to be
1: the, uh, the just law. like every it's, other human being. Then, whenever you get in a hire car,
3: well, it's yeah, it's it's the the equivalent of throwing a TV. You know, rock stars throwing TVs off balconies.
0: I'm just imagining Lewis Hamilton now just popping into Europe Car, hiring a panda. <laughs> well, I think see, he, uh,
1: he pretty much doesn't drive anything these days, does he? He's, uh, he's he just gets driven sold night, off he? a, a few of his supercar collection and, uh, and Toto Wolf has been selling off his collection of Ferraris uh, I didn't know he had a collection of Ferraris, actually I mean, the, the man's worth an absolutely insane amount of money so it does stand to reason that you'd have a, a nice collection of cars uh, but I think he was more worried about the, uh, the brand implications Yeah, Lewis had said he, he pretty much doesn't drive anything with an engine anymore uh he's all about electric and newer cars these days.
2: So. Ah, St. Louis. Um talking of <laughs> rock stars as we were and Going back to cars, um, you may, those who are slightly older, people probably like Graham and myself, the drummer from the band Rush, Neil Pert, sadly passed away a couple of years ago, and he was a bit of a petrolhead, it transpires, because his car collection is coming up for auction, and there's some very interesting things in there I was looking at today. He seemed to like silver, in the same way that Chris Evans had white Ferraris, Neil Pert had a very silver collection, including, and I'm just looking at some pictures here, a lovely 19... 19- Six, I think it's the 65 DB5. There's an E-Type Jag Series 1. There's a Ferrari of some sort. I think it's possibly a, might be a 330. And uh, probably the best one for me, the Miura. There's a Miura right in the middle. And that thing looks absolutely gorgeous. Go? That lot, it's going to go for a lot of money, that lot, I think. And again, Provenance is going to have quite a bit to play, I'd say. Mm. I, I saw a
3: little gem uh, uh, yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, in Kew, which I took a couple of photos of. Not often I take photos of cars in in streets because the sort of cars that I want to take photos of are rarely in streets, but this was a particularly lovely one. It's, uh, I think, about a 59 or 60 Bentley Continental, you know, with the vestigial wings on the back. Proper Bentley Continental, rather than
0: the Wayne Rooney edition.
3: (laughs) Yes, Yes. no, a classic, Uh, uh, Probably, it's not often you will see a car parked in the street that's probably going to fetch a million, million and a quarter at auction. Absolutely Mm. pristine condition, peaked inside, absolutely unmarked. Somebody had spent a fortune on restoring it all, it only had three and sixpence on the clock. I'm not sure which, but a gorgeous what? motor car. Well, you know what I mean. It had virtually no mileage, I suspect, on the clock. But if if it had been used, it had been well, very well restored and very expensively restored. Um, and a, a truly wonderful motor car. I mean, the classic of, uh, of its era, late 50s, very
0: early 60s. So I took a photo of a car in the street on Sunday. And again, relatively unusual for me. And the car was a new. Land Rover Defender 90 uh, because I, I looked at it side on and I've seen the, the 110 versions parked up but the 90 proportionally just looks absolutely right it actually looks smaller in, in reality than I thought it was going to um, but the sort of commercial style of this thing, I thought it looked really really good uh, funnily enough the owner had uh, popped over and started chatting to me about the car that I was with which was the Mustang Mach-E and we were talking about the Land Rovers by chance and it, and it sort of came up in conversation and it was it was his car and he'd basically just gone for that spec because he was impatient and couldn't wait for a car to be uh, built for him um, so he decided he wanted this one but such a, a I think a great looking thing I really do first time I'd seen the smaller version out in the wild what we'll do is we'll pop these photos up on the socials for you so Find us where you normally find your socials at UK Motor Talk.
1: From old school motoring that's uh, that's being sold off now to uh, future motoring, I suppose, uh, bang up to date, we've got uh, E10 petrol roaming soon over the horizon. Irritating. Now, bear with us, because it is as exciting as it sounds for... Those amongst you running older cars or classic cars, it's probably something you want to pay a little bit of attention to. E10, for those of you that don't know, it it refers to the, the ethanol or the bioethanol content of fuel having to be 10%. Whether you agree with harvesting what should be food and turning it into petrol, whether that's the best thing in the world for the planet as a whole, I'm not not quite sure. But putting all of those arguments to uh, to one side, the idea is it uses less fossil fuels and uh, and produces fewer carbon dioxides, can apparently make your MPG a little bit worse. So you end up using more of it, which is kind of counterintuitive, because if you end up using more actual fossil fuels, will be more carbon dioxides but hey who are we to argue but you do need to be a little bit aware of it particularly if you're running an older car a classic car um cars built before 1992 it, it varies according to the manufacturer when they got them all certified and signed off for uh for bioethanol in the fuel you know ford's a sort of 92 onwards apart from weirdly enough the Mondeo 1.8 sci but they only sold about three of those anyway so probably doesn't matter um you know some random vws from the mid 2000s can't run on it so there's a there's a handy little checker on the gov website uh have a look at gov.uk and um search for uh for e10 checker on there uh, and it will give you a, a list of all the manufacturers and let you know what's available but it's uh if if you're running something older, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties cars, it's uh, it's probably a good idea to avoid it. So uh Mr Gates, I think you'll uh, you'll be in that boat, won't you?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a pain in the ass, frankly. there's a few things. <laughs> Firstly, the ethanol, the E five, E ten is just the percentage of how much ethanol they've stuck in there. Um it smells weird. That's the first thing. Petrol shouldn't smell like ethanol. It fluid. does, petrol doesn't it? Smells, Un- it does unleaded smell weird.
1: petrol doesn't smell nice anymore, which is
0: a shame. Yeah, not not good. It takes on water, kind of like brake fluid does, um, which is great because that helps to rot everything out. It rots <laughs> out rubber seals and pipes and everything else, um, which is a problem for pretty much everything, but it's particularly a problem for older cars. And we've said it before, check your, your fuel lines. Uh, I've having dropped the tank in the onion discovered that the fuel lines going to the pipes were starting to get all uh, all rotty and horrible so not good and uh, apart from anything else if you have got an older car or an older bike something particularly with a fiberglass fuel tank it rots it all out so if you've got an older car the best thing to do is for the moment at least fill up with the premium fuel because it's still E5 and if you're storing the car for any length of time don't store it with fuel in the tank because it would just make things go horribly, horribly wrong. Worst case scenario, when it's rotted through pipework bits and pieces, you end up with fuel spraying everywhere and then catching fire. So I'm sure it's probably better for the planet, but if you're driving an older car, then it's potentially lethal. So there you go. Top consumer advice. Just to add to its tales of woe,
2: a bit of research shows that if they are meeting the government's target of, I can't remember the exact figure, but there's a a number that they hope they will be... um, reaching in not too long after starting to give us all e10 uh, then the the return will only be 0.6 percent reduction in co2 if we're running at maximum capacity which isn't a huge amount yes every little helps as they say but if the things are less efficient and we're having to use more of it as james said that surely cancels everything out the cynical amongst us say that this is a way for government to make more money on tax but i couldn't
0: possibly comment Mm, it's it's about Surely 1%. Not. Surely they reckon the reduction reduction in fuel economy but if you're not gaining more than 1% uh then yeah it's it's just a complete waste of time isn't it just causing yeah, everyone I mean, inconvenience and problems. Michael you
3: mentioned the possibility of using uh, uh higher grade fuel which is available on most forecourts. Um I do, I haven't heard whether there's any plan to uh, increase the ethanol content in in that. I, I don't know whether yes. you you boys. Yes, there is. Is is that the case? Yeah.
0: yeah, there is. It's just it's just a few years behind, effectively. Mm. So it'll happen. The the ethanol the e the e ten or e five, whatever it is. E five is only going to be e five for a few years, and then it will become e ten. So eventually, it'll be a problem for everybody. Well, as a pro- problem for everybody with an older car, I guess.
1: As you said, it's not just for people with older cars. The uh, the hydroscopic nature of the fuel and, and what it can do to fuel lines and things like that it might be okay in uh, in the car if you're using it every day and it doesn't get the chance to absorb water uh, or it's constantly in use and being flushed through but if uh, if you've got uh, a newer car, but it's a weekend car that you keep tucked away in the garage and only bring out on the sunny days. You know, if uh, if you're tucking it away for part of your winter preparations, as well as pumping up the tyres or popping it on axle stands, etc. The things you would do to it may be, uh, may be worth draining the tank and draining the fuel lines. It's, uh, it's a bit more of a faff, but if it stops you having to replace all the fuel lines in uh, in summer of the next year, it's maybe not a bad idea.
2: Well, well, lest we forget, none of us are really driving as much as we used to at the minute anyway, and to be honest, that's probably going to be the case for the foreseeable future. Now people aren't going to be driving to the office so much, they're not going to be going and visiting places quite as much as they were because we're still locked into this semi-lockdown and who knows what's going to happen in the future you know this could all happen again and cars are just going to sit there you only had to look at the amount of cars parked at the side of the road with rusty brake discs to see mm. just how little these things were moving and if you've got a car sat there attracting water into fuel tanks that's just a recipe for disaster as far as i can see
1: even for uh, for newer vehicles you know plug-in hybrids i notice with mine, much as uh, more advice was to stay local, how little fuel I used during lockdown because I was only buzzing to and from work and and literally buzzing and doing it on electricity. Uh, You know, plenty of of modern plug-in hybrids have a system that that seals the fuel tank to stop air getting into it too much for the exact reason that you can end up with fuel sat in there for a long, long time. Um, But with the, uh, the bio content, it can be sat in there and, and doing nasty things so even uh even brand new cars be uh, a little bit cautious if you're not using much fuel then then maybe put in a bit less each time
3: is there any effect on the engines themselves uh, i take your point about the fuel lines etc but uh, i well remember the the scares about the, the the hardness of valve stems and valve seals when we uh when we stopped using leaded petrol that's not so many years ago a lot of classic car owners had to spend a lot of money to either bring their, their cars up to uh, a slightly more modern spec in terms of uh, the hardness of those seals, or uh, they had to use premium fuel. Now, as you're saying, Mike, if the premium fuel is not going to be premium fuel, then where does that leave the large number of classic car owners in this country?
0: Well, in in the short term... You can you could, you could run a classic car on E10. It'll run, it'll work. What you have to do is just make sure that you fill up with premium the next tank so you're not going to be left stranded if you can't get it. With the leaded fuel, you could put a, an, an additive into the tank, uh, obviously to, to help not erode your valve stem seals. Uh, and the Onion, this one or the other one of the other ones I had, certainly, uh, came with a little leaflet saying that this was a dual-fuel vehicle because <laughs> it would run on leaded and unleaded, although it always ran better on leaded. Um, and I, you, I think you could just about get it still when I first got the cars.
1: Yeah, I had a, a Mark II Golf that was uh, supposed to be run on leaded petrol and couldn't be run on unleaded. And when leaded was phased out, the, the car just ran like an absolute bag of crap, basically, <laughs> on uh, on unleaded fuel. Uh, I tried a few of the additives and none of those seemed to make too much of a difference. But I found, uh, in the end, just putting a... a couple of litres of diesel in it every time you filled it up just sort of balanced it out and helped and that was it I mean it 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 occasionally ran like a bag of crap I think because it was my first car and I was 17 years old and I drove it like an absolute flute but it's that might have had something to do with it but in in general it didn't like the switch at all at all so I mean I solved the problem by writing it off but so it was okay in the end
2: (laughs) terminal upgrade (laughs) on the subject to classic car owners I mean perhaps this goes back to what we were talking about last time sort of biting the bullet and um, going electric on your classic car it might hasten people or might help them make the decision if they were umming and ahhing is electric the way to go I mean it's it's still a very expensive way of doing it but perhaps realistically the lack of fuel that's going to keep your car going or it's going to cost too much to maintain to keep using it on this fuel that it really wasn't designed for perhaps it might be might be car sod it let's stick some batteries and a motor in and we've still got 90 percent of the car it just doesn't need all this crap being put in the tank
1: yeah i mean i know there's a lot to be said for originality but if you if you had an older you know a much older car let's say a, a jaguar e-type and the engine was having problems running on modern fuels and getting worse and worse and worse you know is is it the worst thing in the world if you drop the engine out of it and fit it with, with something yes. entirely more modern. Yes. I mean the Yes, a absolute disagree.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean if it's if it's a if it's a you know, a cooking spec Mark II golf, then no. It, you know, if it's something that has a you know an old Ford C V H engine in it or whatever, then then I think that's fine. Where it's a problem is when you you do take something which is perhaps one of its defining characteristics is its engine and then rip that out.
1: But yeah, so just as you have a, an original Jaguar E-Type with a, a V12, but there's the, uh, the the remake, isn't there? What's the, the company that, that makes one that's... Eagle. A remake of it. Eagle, yeah. So, that you know, is is it the worst thing in the world to put that engine in your original E-Type? You know, as long as you keep the original engine on a crate on the side so it's all there if you ever want to put it back or you can grow your own fuel that, that doesn't rot the lines out, you know, it's, it's there and ready to go back in if it's ever needed again, but I'd rather have a Jaguar E-type with a non-original engine that still works and still runs, rather than one with an original engine that doesn't work.
0: Wait, there's nothing that to stop sacrilege? you. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, th- I think so, because on I mean, something like that, <laughs> where, the, where the engine is part of the car's character, it defines the car, yes, I think that's quite important to keep that we've said before, you know, cooking spec cars, it's not so much of a problem. So if you've got a Mark II Golf or a Mark IV Escort or whatever, and it's just a you know 1.6 or 1.8 or whatever, it's nothing particularly exciting. It's just an engine. Yeah. Then by all means, rip that out, stick in whatever you like, because that's just part of modified car culture. In terms of what E10 and the future of fuel means for these cars, really the best thing to do is if you've got something that's got a fiberglass fuel tank, switch it out switch it out now to something else, because the the, the ethanol will just rot out the fibreglass. And it's the same with with the pipes and seals and everything else. Yes, it will rot them, but replace the seals with modern seals and modern pipes that can take the ethanol content. In the long term, are you going to have to do it again? Quite possibly, and probably sooner than you otherwise would. But I think that's the answer, is keeping the original engine and everything else, and just renewing the seals, the tank, or, or doing what you have to do to maintain that engine, because it's not going to ultimately alter the character of the engine, all the way that it sounds, or probably the way that it feels. These are all things that are largely hidden, and unquestionably people will start coming out with retro-looking fuel lines that will fit. But for the moment, you just have to be really cautious of it. And certainly when you're parking up over winter or whatever, don't be parking up with fuel in the tank.
1: For those of you who haven't watched the, uh, the Austrian, well actually no, it wasn't Austrian, was it? It was the, the Styrian or Stiermark yes. Grand Prix.
3: The, the the polystyrene Grand Prix, I think it was. There wasn't a, a huge
1: amount went on there, but I think the fact that France was more exciting uh, tells you everything you need to know. You know, Austria managed to out France the French Grand Prix. I mean, we're, we're back at Austria again uh, for a double header, two races at the same track. I, I think they're probably missing a trick by not having a, a new qualifying format next time out. If, if you're going to try it anywhere, you know, try it at at the same track fairly similar conditions and see if it produces a different result or spices things up but I kind of think the uh, the next race is just going to be a repeat the teams are just going to have so much data on it by the time they've finished the first race the only thing I I hope for was gutted and I think uh, pretty much the entire planet was gutted as well to see George Russell's retirement for hydraulic issues because he'd have been on for 6th, 7th, maybe 8th, depending on uh, on what else went on in the race. But he was, uh, mm. he was going fantastically well and having a cracking weekend. But yet again, luck just seems to let him down, and uh, it seems mm. that points George Russell and Williams are not destined to ever meet at the same time. Hopefully, that changes next time out.
3: Yeah, I certainly hope so, because I think he is uh, one of the stars of the future. Uh, he and Lando. Uh, But George Russell, there's been an awful lot of activity this afternoon and this evening suggesting that, uh, it's just rumours, it's just Formula One scuttlebutt of course, but that Williams are on the point of releasing George Russell because uh, Toto has decided his loyalties have been stretched a little bit too much and uh, Valtieri will probably only make the next Grand Prix and not thereafter. So whether there's any truth in it, but it, you know, the story seems to be uh, developing during the course of the afternoon and early evening.
1: The general consensus of opinion is, is that this is Valtteri's last year in the Mercedes, whether a change happens sooner rather than later. But I, Mercedes, unfortunately, they, they haven't got two drivers to uh, to play tactics with. You know, in, in years gone by, they had such a dominant car that it didn't really matter what the second driver did. He was probably going to finish second no matter really how bad his weekend was going. Um, the fact that Perez seems to be uh, coming on leaps and bounds and really mm. getting used to that mm. red bull car. Uh, any You know, I, I dare say Mercedes are... Uh, well, Mercedes as a team certainly are less interested in the Drivers' Championship than the Constructors' Championship. Um, but if Bottas is possibly going to cost them the Constructors' Championship, then then they need to make a change. You know, if, if they're not going to win it with Valtteri Bottas, then why not drop George in the car? Because you might win it with him. If you're definitely not going to win it, take a chance and uh, and have a little swap around.
3: Well, you know, uh, Toto has been protesting his and the team's loyalty to Valtieri. I think he does protest too much. You know, I, I, I think we are getting to that point where he may have to take that decision for the reasons you've just outlined, Jim. Uh, I think it may well be a case of if the Constructors' Championship is really on the line, and at the moment it looks like it is, then uh, maybe Valtieri he's going to get the heave-ho to somewhere else and George will be put in the car. Given the example of how he um, did last time when he was uh, replacing uh, an otherwise ailing Lewis, yeah, I I think it would be a great move for him. It may happen even before the end of the season. I think certainly and definitely it will happen at the end of the season.
1: For years and years and years of Mercedes saying they want to fight, they want to fight, they want a proper fight for the title. And then now it's happening, they, they've almost said, well, no, yeah, but not, not like that, actually. If, if you wouldn't mind fighting not quite so hard, that'd be nice. But that's uh, that's four on the bounce for Red Bull now between Verstappen and Perez. And, and it's looking more and more likely like the title's uh, disappearing away from Sir Lewis, isn't it?
3: For for me the the highlight of the last two races really has been the discussions, the slagging off between Red Bull and between Toto uh, and between Christian Horner who were quite matey before but they seem to have had a fairly major falling out and um, they're they're both quite happily slagging each other off now in in every opportunity they get for it. I, I find that quite amusing actually.
1: I think the best possible way for uh, Toto Wolff and Christian Horner to settle any differences is with uh, with hand-to-hand combat whether it's boxing wrestling Mm, uh, anything like that I just that that would probably give a lot of people a lot of entertainment to see Toto Wolf step into a ring with Christian Horner that now that that would be entertainment you you could whack that on pay-per-view and earn a couple of quid off that if you're listening well media
3: given the relative sizes of the two of them I, I think my money would have to go on Toto in terms of weight reach and height uh, which is how they seem to measure these things. He's he's, he's a pretty tall lad. He's got a fair reach, and uh, yeah. But I think I'd have a few quid on it if if that came to pass. Maybe that's how they'll settle the points at the uh, end of the season. You know, they won't they won't jump into swimming pools. They won't have a penalty shootout. They'll just have three rounds or five rounds or whatever it takes for them to hammer each other and may the best team win. The theft of catalytic converters has hit the news headlines in, in recent days again. And uh, one or two people contacted me about it. And one of the things that uh, caught my ear from one of the producers that I spoke to was the fact that the fourth highest rate of that crime in the country was in Surrey. Now, is there a connection with the fact that all these 4x4s four that are in Surrey are that much easier to steal a cat from, and they are higher value cats. I mean, given the fact that the, the um, catalytic converters generally are more expensive for larger vehicles, for large engine vehicles, because of the amount of expensive chemicals involved, if you combine that with the fact that the big 4 by 4s are easier to get under, because you've got more ground clearance... Perhaps that makes them very tempting targets in counties like Surrey.
1: I, th- I think that just shows the the resourcefulness and and the research that modern criminals undertake. I mean, to to move your operation around to uh, to where there's the supply. That's that shows good economics, as far as I can see. But that that reminds me slightly of the Lee Evans sketch on uh, on a sign on the way into a car park: "Warning: Car thieves operate in the area." well, yeah, where else would they operate? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Go where your market is. Yes, we do suffer around here with the the 4x4 is the, the thing of choice around these parts, as I can testify from living in the county. Um, but there's also, I believe, some merit in the fact that uh, it's hybrids as well that are particularly being targeted. Mm, and hybrid so. 4x4s would be the sweet spot because there's an awful lot of Lexus... 4x4s, you know, the L400H, you know, that sort of, or the X, I can't remember the model. There's a lot of Lexus hybrids around this part of the world and a lot of others, you know, obviously manufacturers now, BMW Mercedes, they're all coming out with hybrid 4x4s. People want 4x4s, they also want hybrids. So, you know, the, the catalytic converters in these things don't see an awful lot of use because they're running, not all the time, but for a fair proportion of the time, on the electricity and they you know the catalytic converters are relatively clean therefore the the precious metals inside aren't being troubled too much by the nasty gases that are being put through them which makes them a very popular thing to nick from underneath and just looking at some of the statistics um they reckon that they can get a catalytic converter with a pair of bolt croppers off a car in less than 60 seconds so quite literally gone in 60 seconds and the (laughs) first you know about it is where you start your engine and it sounds like a tractor um and i have to confess i'm a bit concerned because i mean i've I've got a relatively large engine car, and it's got two catalytic converters, but uh, the good thing is it looks like it's a diesel, so hopefully nobody's going to be bothering with mine.
3: Mm. uh, The other point that somebody was making earlier was that uh, some catalytic converters would be so expensive to replace that uh, the car will be written off by the insurance company, so you you don't just lose the cat; you lose the car, because the, the, the car is not worth the replacement value uh, of the catalytic converter, you know, it, it, that, that's a crazy scenario, but it's one that does seem to be uh, occurring more and more. Uh, the insurance companies just saying,
0: "Ah, it's not worth it." Well,
2: and once again, Johnson Matthew make a fortune. Per so. Ching.
0: Mm, it's a shame you can't just pop down the market and buy it back, isn't it?
1: <laughs> that reminds me. Actually, my uh, my dad was once in a uh, in a pub in. Newcastle, he'd been visiting up there on business and he'd had a couple of hours before he'd, uh, he'd parked his car up round the corner from the hotel and uh, wandered over and checked in, uh, came back to the car to find the window had been smashed and the, uh, and the stereo nicked, and he was down the pub later on that evening, and, uh, and a bloke sidled up to him and asked him if he wanted to buy a car stereo, uh, and it turned out that he said, well actually yeah I do actually, mine's just been nicked, and it's, he looked at his oh, it turns out it was that one, right then, and then he looked up and looked at the bloke and said, right How much do you want for that, then? How much? 15 quid? Yeah, right, then, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I'll get you a pint as well. Thank you very much. So uh, he wasn't too upset. He didn't get a kicking, and he got his stereo back. So all he had to do was replace his window.
2: (laughs) Oh, man, do you want to buy a car? Radio leak, you know.
1: (laughs) There's a notorious
3: uh, market in uh, Seville, uh, which uh, it's it's basically uh, full of pickpockets. And I used to take groups of people through there with
1: with a sort of admonition. Were you on commission if, from the pickpockets? Were you?
3: No, absolutely not. <laughs> if if, <laughs> if 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 you if you lose something, uh, uh, in the early stages of the market, it will get to the end before you do. You can buy it back, so at least you won't lose it forever. Um, but it Fair was Ca uh, K- 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 Ferrier in uh, Sevilla is, is quite notorious. Uh, the pickpockets have been uh, operating in that area, apparently, as long as there have been pockets to pick. So uh, it started in about 1400
0: or something. And some of the people doing it are really old now. I mean, like hundreds of years old. <laughs> yeah, and, and they've a fortune. Them. Yeah, they... they... <laughs> They all look like your great nan, but oh, you should see how fast they move. Wizened crones. (laughs) Mm. But there is something you can do.
2: You can protect your uh, very expensive bits of platinum, rhodium and palladium by bolting a cage on underneath, which will perhaps give them pause for thought, but they'll probably find a way of cutting through that pretty quick. But um, it does make you wonder whether this is going to become a standard fitment by the manufacturers will they start sort of providing cars with cages in situ or perhaps citing catalytic converters obviously they can't go anywhere else other than underneath the car because they get incredibly hot but there must be ways perhaps they might be able to perhaps hide them inside chassis outriggers or you know pressings or something Um, we're going to be driving cars that are going to need catalytic converters for a few years yet so if it's going to be an ongoing problem, I can't help but think they're going to have to address it.
1: As long as you can get it to the stage where you need an angle grinder to cut it off rather than a set of bolt cutters, uh, that's that's probably the ideal scenario. They do. The one thing you don't want to do when you're doing that is make a noise. But having said that, how long does it take with an angle grinder and, and how soon are you in and out and that's it. But like we've said as well, if you've got a, a van parked up next to it with... Budget and Scarper's mobile mechanics on it, and you're you know you've got a set of overalls on and you're working underneath a car. And nobody's going to bat an eyelid, are they? Unless it's your car they happen to be working under and you
0: haven't booked a mechanic. Yeah, well, let the jack down quickly. Yeah. How long will it be
3: before the the the, the same guys or the, their offspring perhaps uh, have learnt how to steal quickly and efficiently the battery in your electric car?
1: Oh, you you wouldn't uh, get away. with It's the, too heavy, yeah, the, the, far too heavy. Would, uh, you would you would seriously Four struggle with, tr- and I think the uh, the process to unhook a battery and, and make it to the stage where you can actually unhook it without electrocuting yourself to death is really quite involved. And, uh, yeah, the weight of them, I think the, the Mackie battery is 900 kilos. So if uh, if there are any budding catalytic converter thieves out there who want to try, then then please do. But just for the love of God, make sure you film it and, uh, and you live stream it when you're doing it so we can all watch and have a good giggle.
2: Hmm. Hernias yeah. are us.
3: In the earliest days of uh, London Transport buses, they used quite a lot of electric buses. And the batteries that they used then couldn't be charged for longer than half a day. So they used to bring them in after they'd done three or four trips each day and trolley the old battery out and trolley a new
0: battery in. It didn't take them too long.
1: But probably yeah. before the days of health and safety and uh, oh, of course. things like that, I would have thought.
0: I, I guess if you had a, a ramp... And you could get the car, because I mean, bearing in mind, a lot of the um, a lot of the electric cars effectively lock themselves. The the transmission, you can't wheel them along in the way that you would a, a car that's that's parked up in neutral. But if you could wheel it away and then get it up in the air and have something underneath it to be able to take the battery down, and you kind of need a hydraulic setup, then, then maybe. But um, as Jim Wright says, you cut through one of those cables, 480 volts, the best case scenario is that you end up getting, um, well, just completely burnt. The question you should have
3: asked me, of course, is why did they stop building electric London buses? And precisely for the reasons you've just suggested, they got too many people injured and they dropped too many batteries and broke them. So it was an idea that only lasted about three years. Uh, and then it was decided that it was just too unsafe, too expensive, and it injured too many people.
0: Mm. Well, we will have solid state batteries in the not so distant uh Future.
1: Was I was about to say, Andrew's looking very, very sceptical with all this.
3: No, it's a true. True story. It's would uh, be about nineteen, ten, eleven, twelve, something of that sort of order. I can't remember the exact ah, date, but, uh, but before my time then. Uh, well, before mine, but... You were saying it as if you were remembering it. No, 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 <laughs> indeed, but but I, I, I do remember the article very well, and I read it quite recently, uh, but I simply can't remember the date, but it was pre-First World War, in my earliest days.
2: <laughs> Next time I'm at Brooklands, I shall make inquiries at the London Bus Museum there, because it does ring a bell, this, actually. Yeah, um, they'll know, so they know. Sure. I'll inquire.
0: If you go back far enough and go back to the early 1900s, of course, uh, Edison and Ford, who were were great friends, were producing electric vehicles back then. They had lots of electric buses that they used to plug in overnight um, and other electric vans and bits and pieces. And there was a choice, as we know, whether you go for a petrol engine or you go for an electric vehicle because Bewley is full of electric vintage cars. There's quite a few in there. And for some reason, by some miracle, the electric factory, whatever you want to call it, storage facility, all burnt down, didn't it? But certainly... There was a question as to whether everything was going to go electric or petrol. And, and as far back as the 1900, early 1900s, it could very easily have, have gone all electric instead of being petrol. But that's, that's just what we decided to do. So I say we. I didn't. I'm not quite old <laughs> enough. But nevertheless, the future, of course, is looking at what's coming from Tesla, are these, these solid coil batteries, which will be not separate from the car at all. They'll be part of the car. So the floor will be a battery. Obviously, going to be lighter. I suppose it's a bigger problem if your battery fails, and you will quite literally have to throw the car away.
1: Uh, yeah, but that, I mean that goes back to our uh, conversation about uh, the price of a Mackie, and you know if you want to go and buy, or indeed any all-electric car, if you want to go out and buy a car that has 12 months mot and is you know in something resembling reasonable condition you know you don't need to spend a lot of money these days you can go out and buy something it'll be a bit tatty around the edges but it'll have a decent chunk of mot for a thousand pounds you know a, a tesla uh, a Mackie is is never going to be a thousand pounds is it it's either going to be ten thousand pounds or it's broken because the battery doesn't work and that and one question we got asked at the weekend actually with our Car on display it was you know what what happens in in an accident is the insurance any higher because it's all electric and if somebody crashes into the side of it it's not just uh, a bit of bodywork and trim damage and things like that it's well if they hit the wrong bit at the wrong angle if they squished the battery and does that write the car off just because it's uh, it's tweaked the battery at the wrong angle so uh, will relatively low speed impacts lead to a lot more write offs
3: Yes, I think is the answer to that. I think without a doubt and The insurance industry is not uh, happy about the, the the risk of repair. Uh, it sees the costs as being too great, and will write vehicles off because it's more economic for it to do so.
1: I would uh, I would imagine it's not not that I've looked around, but I'd imagine the um, the insurance cost uh, to the driver won't be that much more expensive because, as we know, insurance is main, you you're mainly insuring the driver, aren't you? Not the car. Um, it's cheaper for somebody like Graham to insure uh, something exotic than it is for an 18-year-old to insure something cheap and nasty. So it's um, it, it might be a few quid more expensive, but I wouldn't have thought too much in the grand scheme of things.
3: And I think it's sort of inevitable that uh, in the same way that uh, most car makers now offer their own finance packages, uh, most, I think, will eventually offer their own insurance
1: packages. Any In electric car is obviously a modern car, so the, the safety systems and the collision detection, mitigation, warning, avoidance systems become that much more clever. Is, uh, is the chance of you having an accident that much less? And therefore, as more cars become electric, there'll be fewer accidents. So overall, will insurance costs drop? I think insurance costs dropping is, uh, is probably a bit optimistic, but at least the chances of you having an accident will hopefully drop money it doesn't stop somebody with an older car crashing into you but of course at that point that's not your problem or your insurance company's problem that's their insurance company's problem so don't worry about it too
2: much but there's also the fact of whether or not the underwriters trust the technology particularly when we're getting into sort of AI type things lest we forget teslas have had some quite spectacular hands off the wheel failures haven't they when the thing was driving itself and there's going to be a point at which they suddenly go yeah nine times out of ten the thing is safe or well, 99 times out of 100 it knows what it's doing but the one time out of the 100 that it doesn't it's going to cost us a load of money so mm. you know there's a balance to be struck i guess
1: didn't volvo say if uh, if their systems caused an accident that they would cover the cost of replacing the car in its entirety and, and no questions asked they they stood by the system so well that said you know almost forget your insurance we will put it right if it goes wrong.
3: Yeah, but the cost of the car in that instance is 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 virtually relevance compared to the, the cost of third party claims. Yeah, I mean I, I came out of the construction industry which has uh, everybody has to have 10 million pounds worth of like uh, public liability insurance, and the reason uh, that, that that figure was set upon was because somebody who was a fast rising young QC uh, was severely injured and would never work again, and the cost to the insurance company was somewhere between five and ten million pounds. Everybody then had to provide ten million pounds worth of insurance. The, the I guess this is why I think car makers will want to get into that itself they they will look at the actuarial numbers and they will probably say well there's more money to be made here than there is to be lost so uh, perhaps it's time for them to come in
2: Interestingly enough, uh, Nissan is soon to announce, apparently, a major expansion of battery production in Sunderland at the factory. And, who'd have uh, that, thought it? Who'd have thought it? Well, you know, it's got to be good news, bearing in mind we have mentioned in the past the fact that it was possibly a, a demonstration of the Turkeys voting for Christmas, as they all voted for Brexit, and the factory was potentially in imminent danger of being shut down. But it does seem that the government has uh, come through, and uh, cough, bribe, cough... But they are ploughing lots of money into the factory in order to make batteries for the fleets of new electric cars that are going to be coming out of it soon. And lest we forget, the all leaf production for the whole of Europe comes out of the factory up in the northeast. So, you know, it's got to be a good thing for the, uh, the population up there. And a lot of people rely on the Sunderland plant for work. They reckon that they are going to be up and running in time for 2024 uh, when apparently the UK has to start abiding, (laughs) who'd have thought this would come to pass, have to start abiding by the uh, agreement that they made with the EU whereby more componentry would start to be uh, locally produced so that we're not unfairly competing with our EU compatriots over there. So me, cynical, surely not. Uh, There is obviously a little bit of... um, government chicanery going on but uh on the whole that's got to be a good thing you know we are actually at the forefront of what is going to be the future for once and um be, i think we'll be watching this with interest and if where nissan go i'm sure others will follow
1: well it's nice to see if there is a, a bit of government uh well i say a bit a lot of government money going into nissan that there'll be something in it for britain to show for that money because i think didn't uh, the government chuck a lot of money at was it Honda, who very shortly after that announced that they were just disappearing from the UK almost entirely. So at least it's slightly better value for money and it keeps, you know, there's uh, obviously a huge amount of uh, employment and incomes and families rely on Nissan, particularly in and around Sunderland, but all the, the manufacturers and companies that supply them with things, whether it's, you know, washing or you know, embroidering the uniforms or stocking the canteens or whatever it happens to be. You know, it, to keep industry like that going in this country is, is hugely, hugely important. The knock-on effect of the Nissan factory disappearing would be catastrophic for, for that area, but the, the knock-on effect, and it doesn't take long before big closure leads to several little closures which spread out and lead to more and more and more closures. So it's a uh, like like... Well, the the aim of the game for the last 14, 15, 16 months has been just, you know, keep everybody going, keep surviving and then hope that we come out of the other side at least in a semi-reasonable order. Uh, no, I, I think this is a great thing and, and to be uh, producing things like that or producing more cars or producing batteries, anything like that, it can, it can only be a good thing. And if we can even expand that and build on that and start exporting them, then... Um, who knows? Make Make Britain Great Again. Or there's there's a slogan in there somewhere, isn't there? I can't quite think of it at the moment. I'll work on
3: that. I thought there was a, a wonderful irony in in uh, uh, the North East voting to uh, to leave, um, and it's like you know biting the, the the hand that's feeding you because the North East was run down by successive UK governments and virtually rebuilt by handouts from the EU, which they then voted against. But, you know, we have to work with the realities that are presented to us. And if we are no longer a part of uh, Europe, one of the the factors that that then allows us to put some money into uh, UK-based industries is the fact that we are no longer a part of Europe. And I'm a confirmed European nevertheless if you want to be regarded as a uk car manufacturer the stage quite rightly says you need to be able to prove that a substantial proportion of that car is built in the uk the battery of an electric car qualifies and is a substantial proportion of that car so basically if you build the batteries here and i think a lot more manufacturers will then they will remain as uk manufacturers whether that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't know but that I think is the way the industry is going
2: In the press releases I've been reading they're also uh, in advanced talks with uh, Voxel and their uh, parent company St- is it Stellant- is it Stellantis 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 yes. yes. Stellantis well, whoever it is, they are in advanced negotiation with them to secure production of electric vehicles up in Ellesmere Port, which again is another area that uh, relies heavily on the manufacturing industry and it's somewhere again so. that voted to um, to leave the EU. So again, it's it's coming back around the government perhaps <laughs> paying some um, guilt money, I don't know. But whatever, as long <laughs> as it secures some, some industry for this for this country lord knows we need all the uh all the help it can get at the minute and if this if this does it then i'd say so much the better and we can only see what happens electric vehicles are going to be the future and if we're there producing the bits that make them go then that's got to be a good thing for uk plc really hasn't it yeah i'd agree
0: definitely the medium uh, term future anyway isn't it let's face it electric vehicles but graham hall who was the chairman of ford for some time oversaw a number of engineering developments like the EcoBoost engine and more recently the ventilator project where ford were were building them for the government he left um, ford to go and join british vault now they've been putting together obviously the 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 gigafactory 30 gigawatt hour factory Um, but he has estimated that the uk are going to need to have quite a number of these factories possibly six or so of them at about two or three billion a pop so there's a lot of investment that's going to be needed to be able to produce enough batteries for the cars that we're going to need to produce in 2030. So there's there's a lot of work yet to be done, uh, and it's good, definitely, to see the investment. Yeah,
2: Interestingly enough, this new factory, I'm just reading now, actually, this new factory that uh, Graham Hall's gone to go and run is being built up in Blythe in Northumberland, so not a million miles away from the people just up the road from there in Sunderland. So perhaps the north-east is set to become the epicentre of gigavoltery. Who knows? Hmm. A new electric industrial revolution, maybe. Maybe they're (laughs) going to spark something new.
0: (laughs) Yay!
3: As as an aside, can I comment on the the, the daftest name I think I've ever heard for a car manufacturer, Stellantis. I'm sure that was dreamed up by Jerry Anderson in one of his weirdest <laughs> moments.
2: Well, it sounds like either a shipping magnet from the 60s or something that's going to rise again when um, Armageddon happens and all the people that used to live there in this sort of land of milk and honey under the sea with an advanced, um, the lost advanced city of civilization. Stellantis. The Lost City of, exactly. Yeah, The
0: yeah. Lost City of Stellantis. No, see,
2: I,
1: I, I think it's a, a European EDM dance electro music act thing, <laughs> <with> DJs, <laughs> something like that. Battlestar <laughs> I, I Either way, it definitely doesn't sound like a car company, does it?
3: Who was it then also <laughs> that, that that named the, the latest Tesla the Plaid? How did that
2: come from? Someone with shares in kilt making, by the sounds <laughs> of it. That's got to come from... Um, the man at the top, isn't it? Surely. I mean, whatever he says, I mean, he. some of his decisions have been somewhat questionable, should we say? So his naming policy
0: probably follows suit. I wonder if maybe it came from something as stupid as he was at uni and someone said to him, huh, plaid's never going to be cool. And he just suddenly <laughs> thought, right, I'm going to call my car this. Just to uh, you know, because that's it, well, to set, set, ab-
1: set about the the massively complex process of launching a an internet payment service, and then a space exploration company, and then a car company, purely to launch a model. I'll show the you!
0: I'll show you! all laughed no. <they all> laugh <laughs> at me. <laughs> it, it just strikes for the kind of thing that you would do as a, as a little side in joke. It's a bit like a, much much as we hate in the chap who founded. Weatherspoon, whose name I've forgotten, Captain Gammon. Yes, Captain Gammon himself, who's complained that there aren't enough workers from the EU, so he can't he <laughs> can't well, start the pubs anymore. voted to
1: leave the EU, I think yeah. was it uh, the uh, the guy who started Moonpig? Was it? Jenkins? I can't Something remember. Like anyway, he, uh, he his used his nickname to, at school. Yeah, it was his nickname at school. And now it's, you know, it's a company that's worth billions and billions of pounds and he's one of the wealthiest men in the country and it's just to rub it into all his bullies. And uh, and even the way he did the advert was that moon pig and just just to rub it in every time. There's got to be a fair amount of satisfaction
0: from that. Hasn't well, there? Weatherspoon, he named it... The Weatherspoon pubs are named after his head teacher who said you'll never amount to anything. So he, he called it Weatherspoon. so every time his head teacher would see a pub with a Weatherspoon's name on it, he would know that he'd done it just to rub it in his face.
1: See, actually, I, I, I quite like that, and actually I have a mm. tiny bit more respect for him now that he's done that. That's, that's quite cool.
0: Well, on that note, I have run out of voice, and so it is most certainly time for me to say goodbye, because otherwise I'm going to have to start doing voiceovers, and there'll be nothing more than just little sound bites from me. So for me, Mike, it's good night. For me, Jim, it's good night.
3: Drive carefully. For me, Graham, it's good night. Look after yourselves.
2: And for me, Dave, take care. See you next time.
0: UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.